0: All right, some of us are still a little sleepy, that's okay, so I'm uh... All right, our kids are being dismissed for Redeemer Kids. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matthew Hall. Uh, I am one of the leadership residents here at Redeemer City, which means I'm an uh, intern. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to preach God's word uh, our pastor is on vacation, uh, taking some rest, and so he's given me that opportunity, and I'm super thankful for it. I'm super thankful for all of you who uh, are willing to, as a church, grow me in this way. And so, uh, over the last few weeks, we have been in a series titled The Beatitudes, Characteristics of the Kingdom. And our aim in studying this portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is so that we as Christians would embody These kingdom characteristics, inwardly and outwardly. Uh, These eight sayings are not just a list of rules for us to follow, but they are markers of identity, separating God's kingdom from the kingdom's principles and characteristics of the world. In the first two weeks, Pastor Aaron had given us an overview of the Beatitudes to kind of give us some clarity and give us like a roadmap uh, for studying them. And then he reminded us of a really core truth. Uh, the first and second beatitude are very important for us as Christians because we were told and reminded that Jesus, who was rich in everything, became poor for us. We brought nothing to the table. Uh, Jesus gave it all to us, and even more so, that as we mourn over our sin, we're reminded of the death and resurrection uh, that gave us freedom from that sin in the first place. And then, our brother Trey Lewis uh He taught us that humility is being teachable and reasonable. And that true humility submits itself to the standard of truth being God's word. And that when we trust God, we're not going to miss out on anything. So today, we'll be looking at the fourth beatitude, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's Matthew 5, 6. And immediately, with that text, we're prompted With a question What is righteousness? What is it? We need to have a biblical definition Of righteousness in order to understand How we as Christians can develop then A hunger and thirst for it I'm just going to take a moment To point us to a handful of texts That may help us develop this definition Of righteousness together The first one is Psalm 63.1 It says this, "O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body yearns for you in a dry and weary land without water. There's also Psalm 107 verse 9 that says, He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And then we have Proverbs 10. What the wicked man dreads will overtake him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. And the last one to help us define righteousness is this is Proverbs 21:21. 21, 21. He who pursues righteousness and loving devotion finds life, righteousness, and honor. Alright, so let's talk. When you think about righteousness, do you immediately think about things that do or don't make you righteous? And do any of these things have to do with morality? I can tell you right now that the good news here is is that when you think about righteousness and you immediately think of some do's and some don'ts and you have a pretty long laundry list, that makes you normal here like the rest of us. But the reason you think about morality when you hear the word righteousness is because in and of yourself, you can probably find a lot of reasons why you don't measure up to whatever standard you think righteousness even is. And that standard could be Jesus himself, that standard could be our Pastor Aaron, that standard could also be close relatives like your parents, or it could be a mentor. But the Bible is going to make it very clear that as those of us who were once bankrupt before God, or maybe that's where you are today, with nothing to offer as to why God should even look at us, let alone save us from his wrath against our sin, you should very much know that you weren't righteous in and of yourself. In fact, in the same chapter that Jesus preaches the the Beatitudes, he actually gives a really uh, very daunting statement to his audience, and it's just as daunting for the audience, the church, that read this gospel account from Matthew. And that statement is this. Jesus said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's Matthew 5, 17. And he made a similar statement to John the Baptist in regards to being baptized in the Jordan River. He says this. He he tells John that he is doing everything he's doing, including getting baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. So, like, we've established that righteousness is not just fulfilling the law and the prophets. It's the very thing Jesus came to fulfill. That was his mission. So I would say our definition of righteousness is this, that righteousness is a status given to someone who is trusted in God alone for their life. This is what Jesus came to fulfill, and it's actually a major theme carried throughout these law and prophets that Jesus is talking about. You see, he's talking about fulfilling the Old Testament, and his definition of righteousness is coming from the standard that God set for the people of Israel, his chosen people. And it's how we're going to orient ourselves to understand a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. It's helping us get a lens for this thing that we're supposed to be craving. So that brings us to our first point. It's this. Righteousness is awarded to those who hunger and thirst. And I know that sounds really simple, uh, but I got one verse to work with. So (laughs) just work with me. Uh, these beatitudes are characteristics of the kingdom of God, and if we who were poor in spirit were made rich by Jesus, and we mourn the sin revealed to us by Jesus, then clearly our rewarding for hungering and thirsting, our reward for hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is not just a moral thing. That's part of it. Morality is certainly part of it, but Jesus Himself is the rewarder. It's Jesus who was poor for us. It was Jesus who revealed sin to us. Jesus is our reward. God's standard for morality is not something you or I can achieve. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get in to the kingdom of heaven. Guys, Jesus has told those in the first century who are considered to be the most upright according to the law of Moses. That means they're keeping not just the Ten Commandments, they're keeping the 613 in Leviticus. All right, They are the most upright. Jesus just told the church in the first century, and he just told me and you, that if you aspire to that, your righteousness is not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. It needs to be greater than that. And I don't know about you, all right? Full transparency, I finished this sermon last night at 11 p.m. Obviously, I am not meeting the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I do not know the entire Old Testament back and forth. I am not a rabbi. I don't know how many of you in this room qualify for that. If you do, you can come and take this, all right? Because I ain't doing it. Jesus just told them that they are not righteous that their righteousness is not worth aspiring to. they needed a better one. What they needed was what Jesus himself came to offer. That's the only perfect righteousness is the one that Jesus achieves and the one that Jesus came to offer because that righteousness is himself. So here's a question for you. Do you look to yourself or Jesus? for your righteousness. I have to ask y'all that today. Because I don't know who in this room is a Christian or not. And yeah, you might be clear yourself, one, And you may even have a working, like, solid theology in your head according to the Bible, but when you actually live, when the thorns come and they try to choke you, When the sun tries to scorch, when the storm comes, are you the one that Jesus said has built his house upon the rock? Are you the one producing 30, 60, and even hundredfold? Whether you're a Christian or not, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, but my friends, they think pretty well of me. I must be doing okay. Or you're thinking, my significant other approves of me. I'm fine. They are the same as you if you're counting on something else to justify you. You're not righteous if you're not trusting in anything other than the only one who was ever perfectly righteous. You are guilty as charged in heaven's word. So knowing that there is no righteousness apart from being all in on the righteousness of Jesus, what is it that we're going to be filled with? That's the promise of this text, right? So it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. What is the filling? I'm not going to tell you anything new. It's very simple. You've probably heard this. The filling is God himself. Jesus became empty, right? But he became poor. It is Jesus who reveals sin to us. The rest of these beatitudes hinge on the life of Jesus. The rest of the gospel hinges on the life of Jesus. Clearly, the filling is the gift of Jesus himself. That's our second point here. For us to be filled is to be given the righteousness of Christ. Just to put it out there, Jesus was perfectly righteous in his law keeping. It was not surface level. He didn't go around wanting the best seat at the synagogue as he describes from the Pharisees. And he didn't keep faith when he appeared publicly to be recognized by all for his law abiding righteousness. Jesus was one who had a heart shaped by complete and utter love and obedience to the will of the Father? His righteousness is that of faith and obedience. So his, his disciples roll up on him in like John chapter 4 after he's done meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, and they went off to go get him some food, and they come back, and it's like, wait, first of all, what are you doing with that woman? This is definitely a Matthew translation right here. Uh, secondly, where's your food? Like, we thought you were hungry. He goes, I, I've got food and drink that you don't even know about. And he says that that food and drink is to do the will of the Father who sent him. Jesus is satisfied completely by God. Even better news Jesus is God. And he wants you to be satisfied by God. Because Jesus is God and he wants you to be satisfied by God, when you hunger and thirst for that satisfaction, he will give it to you. You don't have to question it. Take Jesus at his word and trust his promises. That's, that's my plea for you today. That's my own plea for myself. Okay? This, this is honestly a, a sermon in the mirror. Alright? And uh, I'm sure some of you guys can understand that. Take Jesus at his word. And trust in his promises. I didn't plan on preaching very long today because I just, you know, I'm not I'm not that good at getting a lot out of one verse, y'all. Uh, but I will tell you that there are some helpful things for us. There's some means of grace for us that God has given for us to begin to do this today. Because I know it's a struggle to do it daily. I'm with you in that fight. Here's how we take Jesus at his word and trust in his promises. Here's one way we do that? We do that by reading the Bible. Big shocker. It is God's testimony about himself. I want you to think about this. The creator of the universe, his entire understanding of life to us, from our perspective, is upside down. His version of glory is a humiliating death on a cross. His version of mercy is loving his enemies, okay? You and I can't stand people on Facebook who argue with us past two comments, all right? That's real. God is looking at you and saying that you, as once were an enemy, were loved by him. Read the Bible. His faithfulness to keep his promises and how Jesus came to fulfill all of them is there. There are many voices, especially in our day. That claim to espouse truth, but none of them can satisfy. In the book of Acts, it actually mentions that many people claim to be the Messiah. This was Paul's teacher, Gamaliel. He actually said, Many people have come and tried this. They they tried this. All right, all of them died, including this Jesus. But these people, he's talking about Peter and the apostles, they were moving in power. The Christian movement was not stopping. And Gamaliel actually warned the Sanhedrin. He looked at them and said, check yourself. If you're getting in the way of God, this will not turn out good for you. Read the scriptures. The second thing, pray continually. (coughs) Full of just human transparency real fast. My prayer life is not the greatest. uh, But the tragedy that our family in particular has been through over the last few months in general has moved me to my knees. And even that is a means of grace. If that is how God gets us to pray and if that's how we start, let me promise you something that God promises himself. He will wipe every tear from your eye. It will not end there. You will start in sorrow man but it will not end. It will end in rejoicing. Something something as simple as, God, make me hungry and thirsty for your righteousness today is enough because God wants to do it. Jesus promises it, God wants to do it, and he will not let you down. Grow in righteousness with the rest of the kingdom. We are a fellowship unified in love and peace and grace under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a characteristic of the whole game. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's not just for those of us who get a microphone and preach God's word for 23 minutes. It's for every single one of you that God has looked at you and said, come and follow me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Do it with the rest of the kingdom, because the rest of the kingdom wants to do it with you. I'm sure very, very many times every single one of us in this room has wanted to talk to somebody else in this room and been like, yeah, but if they find out my stuff, yeah, but like I'm probably not where they are. Guys, I want you to know growth in grace is not a ladder climb. We're all on the same weighted scale, and Jesus holds up the scale. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for all that you've given us. God, you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And God, we thank you that here in this place, your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to continue that. Lord, we all feel insufficient for the work that you've given us. So I pray, Lord, humble our hearts as we sing. uh, Don't hasten our stride, God. Help us to walk with you. Help us to not crave what we want, but rather, Lord, help us to trust in the standard of truth. God, remind us that we were once poor in spirit. Remind us to mourn over our sin and remember the cross that paid for it. God, help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray all of these things and all of God's people said, amen.